what millionaires know that non-millionaires don't know is that once you get to the top, there's nothing there. And I had a chance to get to the top and, and, um, you know, we, we had all the things, um, and we had the income and we sold businesses and we had the accolades and the, the, the notoriety of it. And there's nothing there. And so ministry was really a divergence to seeking true success. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I am your host, Reagan Rose. Well, today I have the privilege of being joined by Dale Partridge. Dale is the founder and president of relearn.org. That's a digital ministry committed to strengthening biblical and theological literacy in the church. Dale is also the author of several Christian books, the host of the Real Christianity podcast, and an elder and teaching pastor at the local house church in which he serves. Dale, welcome to the show. Hey, excited to be here, brother. Um, Yeah, just uh, it's fun to have this conversation because it's a real practical side of ministry that a lot of people uh, don't think about. They put it in the business world. And so I think it's good to have that conversation since my history is in both sides. Yeah, and that's that's what I, I thought made you so perfect to have on here is you come from being an entrepreneur and now you're in ministry. And I, just from an outsider looking in, I can tell that some of the, the things that you've learned as an entrepreneur, you've applied even to how you do ministry to make it more effective. And so uh, I'm excited to talk with you about a few different topics today. And and the first one I wanted to get into was this topic of success. You have started successful businesses. You sold a successful company. You've been pursuing ministry. Uh, it started a house church planting network. And maybe for the people that aren't familiar with you, give us maybe a 30,000 foot overview of where, where you've come from, where the Lord has brought you to today. Yeah. So, um, been married, uh, 11 years. I have three kids and, um, I started off in the entrepreneurial space as early as I can remember, you know, uh, 16, you know, was already starting businesses. Uh, and I did that all the way until I was about 32. I'll be 36 next week. And, um, this is, uh, yeah, this has been a, a journey of, of starting several companies, some of them growing to the multi-million dollar place uh, and, you know, having, you know, 20 to 50 employees. And so I got a chance to experience that full-blown entrepreneurial, uh, you know, arena with, uh, you know, I, I had all the the accolades of, you know, the Forbes and the entrepreneur and the fortune and the discussions on the, the business space. And, and, uh, you know, it's a really wonderful space um, with the right heart, with the right commitments, with the right integrity. Um, and, you know, w- was there for several years enjoying that, started several companies on the internet space and, and social media and marketing. And, and um, about uh, four years ago, my wife and I just felt called to ministry and called to uh, run from that space, which was interesting. I wrote a book called Saved from Success, um, which is uh, the second book I wrote. The one before that was written, uh, was titled People Over Profit. And, um, you know, my journey, basically, the Lord has taken me from saving myself from the world's version of success. And I was neck deep in it, uh, chasing all of the wrong things and 
having the wrong heart about it uh, with a Christian veneer. And that's the thing is that I, I didn't see it until I got away from it. Um, and I started really comparing myself to the scriptures and comparing my values to the scriptures and comparing my life to the scriptures and comparing my, the way that I ran the company to the scriptures. And it took a long time of, of conviction and, and um, correction and uh, studying and uh, by God's grace, just a changing of heart that got me out of that thinking. Um, and that was towards the end of my entrepreneurial career. Uh, when I shifted into business or when I shifted into ministry, uh, I just had a, a heart for planting churches, planting specifically house churches, uh, biblical house churches. Um, and uh, my wife and I decided, hey, let's start a ministry talking about theology. Let's start a ministry and a podcast about those things as well. And let's talk about how we've been doing house church. Uh, it's not this kind of free for all Bible study you know, gathering of church hurt people who think they're elite and have the better way of doing church. Um, we were committed to, you know, historical reformed biblical Christianity, um, but meeting as a house. And so we wanted to, to have a ministry and have a platform to share about that. So we started relearn.org, having a discussion about theology, about ecclesiology. And then we um, started a school called Reformation Seminary that trains pastors in a one-year program, how to plant uh, a biblical house church. Um, I went to school at Western Seminary, finished my graduate studies there, decided to go back to school at the Master's Seminary, um, which is not an easy school, and uh, still finishing up my, uh, my MDiv there. Um, and uh, yeah, now we're uh, on the road, uh, uh, taking a bit of a sabbatical while I'm doing this interview here. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a big shift going from business to ministry, but I, I know we'll talk about that more as we go through the interview. Yeah, for sure. That's super helpful, man. I'm a graduate of, of the master's seminary as well. I don't know if you knew that. So we're, uh, we're brothers there. Yeah. <laughs> master's men. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's helpful kind of seeing the, the journey and where you, where you've come to now. Um, I'm curious specifically how your definition of, of success has changed? Like how, how do you view success as a Christian? How, how should we view it versus maybe how the world defines it? Well, it's so hard. You, you, first, you don't realize how much of the world's definition of success is on you, in you, saturated into your heart and brain. It, it's very difficult to realize it. Um, you know, when you get into the scriptures, you realize that, you know, success is anything that gives glory to God. Um, so my, my definition of success is what was, what will glorify God the most? Uh, and then you could apply that into each category. What will glorify God the most in my family? What will glorify God the most in my finances, um, in my you know, relationship with God and my friends and my church, in my body and my health. And, um, and it's a difficult, you know, thing to discern in some of those categories. Um, and, you know, I spent many years making hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, and it was a difficult place to, to, to be okay with making that kind of money and, um, and glorifying God in it. Um, you know, we, we, we in the church think, especially in the nonprofit industry, as I'm learning over the last four years, is that, man, money is, uh, you know, it's a hard topic in the church. Um, and how to manage money well. You know, the place you got to get to is... Um, is loving generosity so much that you want to make more money just so you can give it away. Um, and, and that 
you know, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but you know, what millionaires know that non-millionaires don't know is that once you get to the top, there's nothing there. Hmm. And, um, I had a chance to get to the top and, and, um, you know, we, we had all the things, um, and we had the income and we sold businesses and we had the accolades and the, the, the notoriety of it. And there's nothing there. Um, and so uh, ministry was really a divergence to seeking true success. And it's been wonderful to see uh, the shift. The, the one thing I will say is how embarrassed I was and am still of how painfully it was for me to go into a modest, humble um, space like ministry. Um, you know, in ministry, you, you can't be making that kind of money. Um, one, people have lots of doubts and concerns about what's going on. Two is, um, I think as a pastor, you need to be able to relate with the average person in your congregation. So, um, even if you make money, doesn't mean you should, um, you know, you need to be careful how you manage that money and how Mm -hmm. it's viewed. And the lifestyle Um, that comes along with it. Yeah. The lifestyle that comes along with it. And it was painfully embarrassing how much that took for me to uh, walk in a modest heart and a modest lifestyle and to, and to not buy things that we would have bought before and to, uh, you know, be challenged to give more and to, um, invest in the ministry instead. And, um, and so, yeah, it, there's a big shift. A lot of guys, uh, and that's why a lot of people go from ministry to business. It's a lot, it's an easier shift. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're going up financially than, than, than down, which is hard. I've heard that from other people too, is yes. anything in general, people will tell you that changing, bringing your lifestyle down from a level is much harder than going up. Yes. Uh, and I can, I can see that being a painful process. And yeah. now what do you, what would you say to the the person who is, you know, they're, they're a Christian and they're a business person and they're not called to the ministry. Um, how do they, how do they go about navigating that arena of, obviously they want to do well at their job. If they're a business owner, they want to succeed. Um, otherwise they wouldn't be in business. How do, how do you manage that without it becoming an idol? Yeah. So you can glorify God in business for sure. Um, and I feel like towards the end of my career was much I was much better uh, in terms of my heart posture toward that view and perspective. Um, my thought is, you know, as a businessman, there's so many ways, or businesswoman, um, there's so many ways to glorify God through obviously opportunities to present the gospel, to um, the sheer ability to generate wealth that can be used for the kingdom of God. And so, you know, there's people, it's funny, I've been on both sides. I've been on the side where you're giving away. I had a business that gave away millions of dollars. So I'm supporting nonprofits. So we we were on one side where we're giving away millions of dollars. And now I'm on the other side asking for money. And Hmm. um, it's been a very interesting thing to see both sides. And I've realized that the Lord just uses different people uh, in different capacities. Sometimes it's to earn the money, to give it away, to build the kingdom. Um, On the other side, it's, it's to work in that ministry service uh, to spend that money uh, in the process of doing kingdom work. And so uh, the business guy misses an opportunity of uh, getting a chance to serve in the kingdom in a unique way. And the ministry guy gets a unique, gets to, to, or misses out on the opportunity to give in a unique way. 
Um, and so there, there is a blessing uh, in giving. And I think that businessmen that really understand it, you, you can see it. Um, you can see, I, I know several men now being on the nonprofit side who you know, are, are major donors to several ministries and their motivation of, of producing wealth is to give more. Hmm. I mean, literally, that, that is what they're hustling not to make a bigger business, not to leave their great-great-grandchildren more money. They're hustling so that they can make more money to have more opportunity to serve and give to the ministries that the Lord is calling them to give to. So it's, it's and, and in the meantime, they are, they are wealthy. They, they do, but they still have modest lives. Uh, they do get to enjoy um, some of the finer things in life. But I, I love that difference. And, um, you know, now on the other side, in a, as, a, as a pastor, as a nonprofit leader, um, I'm getting a chance to be the recipient of that blessing of being um, supported by donors. Um, it's very difficult, um, but, uh, but it's such a blessing. And, and just to see both sides has been very fruitful and, um, and helpful for our family. Now, I, I want to dig in a little bit more on the house church stuff, because I'm sure that people listening to this, and you touched on it a bit when you were um, introducing kind of where the Lord's brought you to. Um, I think that a lot of people, their perception of house church just is almost like what you described, where you've got like a home Bible study and people call it a house church because they don't really want to be under, you know, the authority of elders anymore because they got burned by the church. T- talk to us about wh- why are you passionate about this form of church, of meeting together in homes, and, and what even is a biblical house church? Yeah, so a biblical house church is the exact same ecclesiology as a conventional church, meaning that there's there's still elders, there's still governance, there's still, uh, uh, you know, an order of worship or a liturgy. There's there's still church discipline, there's preaching, there's communion, there's giving, um, there's deacons, there's gender roles, there's all the stuff that you would have, except that you're not inside of a building with 500 people, you're inside of a house with 10 or 12 families. And uh, what I found is that I, I don't think that there's any right way uh, to do church. There is fruitful ways, there's a scale or a spectrum of fruitfulness and um, the, the traditional church has some c- categories where it can be more fruitful than the house church. And the house church has some categories that it can be more fruitful than the traditional church. Um, and I think it just depends. Some people thrive in big communities. Um, some people don't. Um, and so in the house church, it really offers a level of intimacy that I think a lot of people in the West are yearning for and longing for that sense of family that seems to be missing in the church because it feels a little bit like 10 feet wide and one inch deep, um, where the house church really is like two feet wide and 10 feet deep. Um, and so you get a little bit of that connection and that, that feel that you can't find in the traditional church. Um, the house church in my experience has been very, very fruitful. It's high accountability. It's high one anothering. Um, in the traditional church, it's hard to find. So we think about the one another's. There's over 100 of them in Scripture. Um, and we want to create the intimacy that you see between Jesus and his disciples, right? That's kind of the goal as you go. I, I really want that. Um, it's difficult when you have 500 people because you're trying to figure out who do I apply those one another's to? Like, is it just my little click? At what point do I get into the stranger category of the guy that's 20 you know, seats down? And so it becomes a little bit 
hard to, to determine who I'm responsible for and who's mm-hmm. responsible for me. In the house church, it really simplifies that in your, in your mind because everybody who's here, you apply that to and they apply it to you. And so it keeps it small. Um, and I think, again, the, the, the biblical example is house churches. It's not the biblical command, but it is the example. And so there's something there about seeing how fruitful it is. Also, we have to remember that most of history is house churches. Most of the world is house churches. Um, we, we are so stuck sometimes in the Western way of thinking that we are just going to have traditional church and it's going to be done this way. And I go, well, the majority of the Christians don't meet traditionally the way that we do here. Um, and that, that's a historical fact, a modern fact. And, um, and now the problem with a house church is that it lacks accountability. It lacks connection to other churches. It lacks usually confessional structure. It lacks um, uh, governance. Um, it usually has a, a, an air of elitism to it. Um, and so you got to get rid of all that stuff. Um, and you got to go back to a, a biblical ecclesiology when you're gathering together um, you know, in a home. You're basically doing church. When someone comes to our house church, I actually hand them a literal piece of paper with a program on it. Hmm. Like this is what's happening today, just like you would at any other church. We have chairs. We have an actual pulpit. The problem is, um, I, I should say, the thing that makes a difference is instead of having so much monologue, you have a little bit more dialogue. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being so um, maybe visitor-centric, it's more committed-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of it being evangelistically um, robust, it's more discipleship robust. doesn't mean that you can't do evangelism. It, do, it just means that you're, you have a little bit more chance for that really close connection point. My experience is that house churches usually attract more mature believers um, because right now it's out of preference. Um, I think in the next five to 10 years, it could be out of necessity um, yeah. as biblical churches are going to be uh, targeted likely um, through pol- or through different politics and forced into um, uh, other expressions of church, which I think a house church is. Um, yeah, so that that's the 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 short version of it. Um, it's obviously something I'm really passionate about. Um, and you can you can instead of growing, you multiply, and you have to raise up biblically qualified First Timothy three Titus one elders who are ready to roll, and it's it's a lot. Um, but again, it's how it's been done in Scripture. It's how it's been done in the Middle East. It's how it's been done in China. Um, and, you know, when you think about the, the, these churches that are maybe in the East, they have the passion, but they don't necessarily have the theology. Over here in the West, we have the theology, but we don't have the passion. I mean, there's people that come here from Iran, and they go, man, it's safer to be in Iran than it is to be in Portland, Oregon, because, uh, you know, places here in the West are so spiritually sleepy, spiritually fat, spiritually overweight, that we're dying from pure, you know, lethargy, um, spiritual lethargy. And um, over, but we have great theology, right? Some of the great theologians, we have lots of time in the East. They have tons of passion. They're ready to die for the gospel, but they can't even have a Bible publicly, let alone theological discourse between theologians on, on books on ecclesiology and worship and soteriology. They can't talk about those things. So their theology is weak. Somewhere in between where I think we're trying to figure out the passion that comes with the East and the theology that comes to the West is what we're trying to create at our seminary, at Reformation Seminary. It's like, how do you have the deep relationships, the passion for the gospel, the willingness to basically die for Christ that you would have maybe in the Middle East, 
but have also the theology that you would have from like a MacArthur or a Piper, you know, in terms of just strong theology. Somewhere in the middle is what we're trying to create, these biblical house churches that are, again, we're, we our, our ministry focuses on a 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, um, just Reformed Baptist views, kind of the, the, the standard confession of faith that we stand behind. Um, and uh, so far, it's been fruitful, it's been fun, and, and um, it's been a blessing to serve in this way. And our hope is, again, just to see what the Lord's going to do over the next five to ten years here in the church in the West. Man, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, see the advantages and sympathetic to some of those things. And I love the, I love even the anti-fragility of, of the idea of a house church is you're, you're not racking up a mountain of debt. You don't have a giant target on your back. You don't have to necessarily need all of the same infrastructure, administrative overhead that you would with a traditional church. And that's exciting. Um, yeah, it allows you allows you more freedom, uh, flexibility. Um, you don't have you're not in submission to the federal and state regulations politically. You're a private group of individuals that are gathering and have civil rights, and so it changes the ability and the uh, I would say the ability to multiply uh, becomes much greater. Um, and also, yeah, I mean you you lose the 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 tax write off of giving, which I think is a great thing for the church, um, just to really have genuine giving for the sake of giving. And so there's a lot of really wonderful things. But again, the traditional church has some strengths that that um, that the house church doesn't. And we're still trying to figure out how to, you know, how do we get the best of both worlds um, during our uh, time and transition as our country uh, here in the West transitions more to house churches. Now, part of that mission, you, you've created Reformation Seminary, and you have a, a one-year graduate-level diploma program for people who want to learn to plant and minister within house churches. Um, and it's, it's fully online, right? So, so tell me a little bit about that and how that fits into the mission of, of equipping people to plant churches. Yeah. So we have, uh, it's, it's, it's fully online in terms of the academic curriculum. We have, um, we also have three, four day intensives where they get a chance to come and be a part of our house church, uh, see our communities, um, so they can have a hands-on, uh, experience there. We have a, a small faculty, um, a couple um, men that have their doctorate, um, and uh, we have a, a theological advisory board, an actual board of directors, um, uh, a full academic curriculum. We go through, um, you know, twelve different modules from hermeneutics and uh, biblical theology and church history and to preaching and family discipleship and eldership development and um, you know worship um, counseling. The thing is, I realized that. Um, you know this because you're a graduate of the master's seminary. So there's in, in the medical world, you have a spectrum. Um, you have EMT, nurse, nurse practitioner, doctor, uh, you know, surgeon, brain surgeon, right? There's a la- large spectrum. Um, in the theological space, you basically have a guy who has read his entire Bible as a mature believer, leads a Bible study at church. And then the next stop is like MDiv. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's kind of like going from like, EMT to brain surgeon. And, and you're like, wow, do I really need four or five years? And, you know, a really, you know, multiple semesters of Hebrew and Greek, uh, to pastor a church of 12 families. Um, and you go, well, it's like the, like, do I need to be a scholar? I mean, I know that in the academic space an MDiv wouldn't necessarily call you a scholar, but you're close. You're like a pastor theologian, you're a Mm -hmm. legitimate theologian. And, um, I've realized that 
you know, in the medical world, the nurse does the majority of the work. Now, if you take an experienced nurse, they're almost as good as a doctor. Take someone that's got 20 years experience, right? And, and so now, but the nurse knows that she doesn't or he doesn't know what the brain surgeon knows. And there's a reverence for that. Um, and when you get studying theology, you go, yeah, when you, when you have a master's degree, you realize that you don't know the same thing as the guy that's been studying Hebrew and has got a PhD in Hebrew. Um, and so there's a reverence for that. Um, we wanted to create a program that's, that's not sending men off to go plant house churches with no training, but we didn't want them to have four years of training either. We wanted to figure out somewhere in the middle, like a nurse level training program that goes, okay, hey, this, this is going to get you started. It's not enough. You're going to need to learn more. And most of these men already have and already continue to you know, read and study, but giving them a framework for preaching, giving them a framework for, you know, like block diagramming in English, uh, understanding grammar, understanding clausal layouts of the text, um, understanding the basics of homiletics, getting into biblical theology and some basic church history, um, understanding hermeneutics and actually establishing a hermeneutic, having them learn these things. They're going off into ministry and they're, they're far better equipped than no training. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're ready to to start planting these churches and leading these churches, uh, really as they're they're preaching, as they're pastoring, as they're counseling. And um, so when uh, someone graduates from the seminary, we uh, we do a basically an evaluation uh, for an ordination type process, and we would appoint them based off of their qualifications and character, aligning up with scripture, and send them into um, planting a biblical house church in our network. Um, this network is going to be called Reformation Fellowship. And uh, this will be a network of biblical house churches. When they're sent off, we'd actually send them off with chairs and, and hymnals and songbooks and membership agreements and doctrines and conviction statements and, and a pulpit and dishware that goes from house to house and the whole thing. That's awesome. For them to plant this church. And um, we would put their, their church on our website. So if you went into reformationfellowship.org in the next, you know, later this year, once it's up, you would go there and uh, you'd go to locations and you would find uh, Tennessee and then you click on Tennessee and you go to Franklin and you go, Oh, look, there's a house church in Franklin. We'd meet up with that. Uh, you'd see that person's contact information. You get a phone number, you go grab coffee and see if it's a good fit for you visiting their house church. And so uh, you're not going to have their home address on there, but you'll have a way to contact these pastors. And that's the biggest bottleneck that we're having right now. People email me every single day. I'm not exaggerating. Hey, I live in Dayton, Ohio. I want a house church. You have one nearby. Sorry, we don't. Hey, we live in Las Vegas, Nevada. We, we're looking for a house church. Being able to locate these house churches um, is a big thing. And mm-hmm. I think that right now we're seeing the traditional churches uh, potentially are in a position of, of sinking politically. Um, and I think these pastors need to go down with the ship. I mean, there's going to be a lot of pastors, I think, in five to ten years that may go to jail. Uh, a lot of pastors that may be shut down. Um, and I think we need to be praying for and standing up strong for those pastors. I had James Coates' wife on my podcast, Real Christianity, uh, just a couple weeks ago. And um, we need to be standing for those men that are called to those positions. Now, at the same time, we need to also be praying for that the Lord plants a new group of churches for the church to go when they can no longer gather the way that they do now. And so there's a transition over the next five to 10 years that I think is going to happen. And um, 
if you have a pessimistic theology or you know uh, um, uh, eschatology, you, you're going to have to agree with this, meaning that that things are going to get harder for the church. And if that's the case, it's basically I had actually one pastor related to a ship that's sinking and having to create lifeboats for the church um, in terms of a house church to get them to these other places. And so that's what we're doing. We're basically preparing a place for the church to go uh, when the members of the church today in the West can no longer gather in the places that they gather now. And that's a five to 10 year task. We're going to need thousands of house church planters over the next five to 10 years to come and plant. Um, and that's our mission at Reformation Seminary. We have 30 guys now. And Lord knows that there's probably other ministries that are raising up men, but we're just one of them. And our heart is, is yeah, just to raise up qualified men in preparation for um, uh, the future of the church here in the West. I love that. That's excellent. Well, Dale, I want to be respectful of your time. How, how much time do you have left here? I got about five more minutes. Okay. Let's uh, let's uh, finish up with a little bit of nitty gritty. You know, we're talking about personal productivity on here, and I think I view that in a very uh, wide range. And so I think this this goes right in there um, with what we've been talking about so far. But I want to talk about your own productivity habits as somebody who's come out of the business world, who juggles a lot of things, has done a lot of different things. What are what are kind of your go-to tools? What are what are the things you use to stay on top of managing your time, managing priorities, and and keeping clarity with all the things you're juggling? Yeah, good good question. Um, I've had an assistant for nine years, um, not the same one, but I had the same one for about seven years, and then uh, I've had another one for about two um, or close to two now. Um, so a, a, an assistant, if you can afford it, uh, even part time is, in my opinion, one of the greatest investments that you can make. Um, and especially as the relationship goes on. I mean, I could still call my old assistant. She probably still has my social security and my bank account numbers memorized, right? But but it's a really wonderful thing. We had a great relationship and and that was a good um, a good thing to have as in terms of a tool. Um, the other thing is uh, I use Evernote and I use three by five cards. Um, Evernote is where I keep a lot of my notes and I've been doing that for 10 or 15 years. And then um, my three by five cards, I, I basically, the night before I write down my list of what I'm going to accomplish the next morning I, and I put them in order of priority. So the other order of importance and um, at the end of the day, whatever didn't get done, it goes on the next day's card. And so it was one, one project or one task per card. Is that the way yeah. you do it? No, I just have several different lists, things that are on my card and I just prioritize it that way. Um, you know, I've been, productivity has been definitely one of my things. I'm a big consistency man. Uh, I like my life being almost 23 hours exactly the same all the time. And I've given myself one hour of basically unpredictable free time. You know, every hour, every hour is planned out. It's playing with my kids. It's being with my wife. I mean, there's, it's very rare for me to have an unplanned block of time unless mm -hmm. I'm on vacation. And so I think that just consistency is super key to anybody having productivity. Um, you know, I, a book that I'm reading right now that's just top of mind that's been very helpful for me. And for those of you who are really intense workers that find yourself getting close to burnout or overworking um, too often, I, I've had like where every two years I seem to burn out and have health issues. And um, so I'm reading a book called Zeal Without Burnout. 
Um, yeah, I've read that's Christopher Ash, right? That's that's a good one. It's a really good book, and it's really helped me put the theological convictions in alignment and connection with my daily activities. Um, basically, making sure that I'm not overworking and trying to be like God, uh, who doesn't need sleep, who doesn't need friends, who doesn't need Sabbath, um, and and so there's there's a lot of conviction there. So for me, it's just yeah, starting the night before, it's making sure you know men who are men and women who are hustling hard kingdom workers, whether in the business space or in the nonprofit space, need to learn how to balance 10 plates at a time. And, and one can't fall. I mean, you can't have your family fall, your finances fall, your health fall, your ministry fall, your church fall, your, your faith, your relationship with God fall. Any one of those falls and it's a major deal. And so um, I, I think that pastors especially are some of the most effective people on earth. They're disciplined. Um, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do. Um, to leave a little bit of margin in your day so that you can talk to somebody and have counseling, to have some flexibility, to, to know when to say no. Hey, sorry, I can't come to your emergency right now. You're going to have to do that on your own. Um, to, to know when to say yes. Um, and so there's just a lot there. So I think for me, it's just consistency. It's discipline. It's, it's day by day. Note cards, it's an assistant. Um, those are the things that have really helped me stay um, managing all those plates and keeping them spinning without them falling. Well said. It's good wisdom. Well, Dale, it's it's been a joy talking with you. Um, we'll have to talk again at some point. I have so many more things I'd love to pick your brain about. Um, but until then, what uh, what's the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing if they want if they're interested in house churches or or in in the school or any of that? Yeah. So um, basically, at my ministry that I write and talk about all things, you know, theological. Um, is relearn.org. So that's become really about just a kind of a ministry of Dale Partridge. Um, our school, reformationseminary.com, great spot. I do a weekly podcast um, and it's been going for a few years um, called Real Christianity. Uh, I, we actually just finished a theologian series. We had uh, Doug Wilson on there. We had James White on there. Uh, we have Tom Askell on there. We had Steve Lawson on there. We have Dustin Benj on there. I mean, so we just did a series while I'm on uh, sabbatical here, uh, interviewing those gentlemen, and, and it was just a great time. So, uh, fun podcast that we put out every week at Real Christianity. Um, those are the main things. Social media, relearn. Um, you could find me there. Uh, the only social media that I have personally, I donated all my social media to the ministry about a year ago. And uh, the only thing I have left is my Twitter. So, it's just at Dale Partridge where you can find me there. I'll be dropping those links in the show notes as well. Uh, Dale, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate you, brother. It's been great connecting with you. Awesome. Thank you for having me.